Let us hear God's word. Romans 1, verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous requirement of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. Well, as we have seen here, especially since verse 18, Paul's been talking, of course, about sin and about judgment. And um, for all of us, really, if we're honest with ourselves, we'll uh, entertain those ideas for a time, but at some point we say, okay, that's enough. I don't want to think about these things anymore. I don't want to talk about it anymore. And yet Paul will address these issues through chapter 3, verse 20. And so we still are here in this way. Uh, Typically, of course, uh, we also then um, look at others. And we say, well, you know, that person does that sin or those sins. And we tend to start comparing ourselves with other people to make ourselves feel better. Um, We uh, focus on exceptions. Uh, Certain laws that uh, do have exceptions, our tendency is to focus on those exceptions so that we can forget about the rule. And of course, we always give excuses. I'm too tired, too busy, had a rough day, you know, whatever it is. And these, of course, are common things that we think about when we talk about sin because it makes us feel better but in the end they don't make us feel better at all Paul will get to the good news but in the moment he wants us to see how sinful we are Paul's purpose here in this chapter especially beginning in verse 18 is to demonstrate that all men and women receive God's wrath because all of us have suppressed the truth about God, his existence, his character. All of us have replaced God for idols in our lives. Each uh, of us have uh, exchanged the truth for a lie. All of us have turned from God knowledge to man knowledge and think we can live our lives apart from God. We've all done it in one way or another. And so this wrath that Paul's talking about is manifested from day to day. It isn't something here that he's talking about that will happen someday on the final judgment. He's talking about the wrath that we receive now. And so God judges us by giving us minds that don't work properly and behaviors that are against God and against others. And so when we engage in these things, unrighteousness or strife or murder or envious things, Yes, we deserve judgment for doing that. But again, that's not Paul's point. Paul is saying that when we engage in these behaviors, it's an indication that God is judging us because we have turned away from him in one way or another. 
These sins are a consequence for our idolatry. But, of course, we also deserve judgment for the sins that we commit and that we see here in these verses. So Paul is, in the end, telling us <clears throat> we're really bad people. And all the hard things that happen in life, we really deserve because of our sinfulness. This is not a pleasant message. Okay? You might think it's hard to hear. Try preaching on it. It's challenging because we don't want to listen to these things. But Paul says we are born as sinners. We are born full of unrighteousness. And we soon then behave sinfully in all possible ways. Some of these behaviors, yes, we only sin in our minds internally. But it's still sin. Others of these behaviors we do outwardly. Some of these sins may, may be more common to me, but not to you. But we all have broken all of the Ten Commandments in one way or another. And Paul is saying, especially the first one. And so Paul here is continuing to expose our wickedness. Now, today, we'll see in this third grouping of sins. As we saw last time in verse 29, <clears throat> the first grouping, uh, are, uh, Paul says, having been filled or being filled with, and then he lists some of these things. Remember the New King James adds sexual morality here. In the second group, also in verse 29, Paul says that we are full of, and he lists five sins. And so now here in this third group, uh, he begins at the very end of verse 29, and then in verse 30 and 31, by giving us 12 sins. Okay? They are a separate grouping, at least as he has written them down. Uh, and he's done so by not including a verb which is somewhat surprising, but I think his point is to say this is just simply who we are. And so the New King James and most of our translations are going to add a verb here, and they say, they are. But of course, Paul's overall point is to say, we are. And it is certainly fitting to put it in this way. And so um, one last uh, idea here then uh, in review um, it is somewhat hard to discern Paul's uh, reasoning. Why did he put these sins together? Why did he mention these sins and not others? But I think a helpful way of considering this is simply Paul is not intending to be exhaustive. What he's trying to do is to give us a sense, if you will, uh, a, a general listing of social sins that really cover all of, our, of the sins that we commit in our relations with other people. And so, let's now begin with this third listing here. And the New King James, at the end of verse 29, uses the term whisperers. Now, your translation probably has a different word, like gossips, or something like that. We're referring to those who bear tales, those who share secrets. Now, as I did last week, let me read here briefly uh, another uh, place where this word uh, an idea is found. This is 1 Timothy 5, and in verse 13, referring to younger widows who do not remarry, he says, Besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies saying things which they ought not. Paul obviously is talking about the use of the tongue here. And when, it's, when we're talking about gossiping, the word tends to emphasize being quiet, doing things secretly, 
conversations that take place behind the scenes, or we might say talking behind somebody's back or something to that effect. Now, gossip, um, sometimes you hear people say, well, as long as you're telling the truth, it's not gossip. (laughs) That's not the standard. Whether it's true or a lie, whether it's a half-truth or a misunderstood bit of information, if we are talking behind the scenes about other people, hey, it's gossip. And now there is a time and a place to talk about others to try to minister and help them, but gossip is not to that end. People do this typically for two primary reasons, it seems, and that is those who tend to gossip like to be in the know. They like to feel superior. They like to say, well, I know this about so-and-so, and so we share it. And uh, we might say, well, I, I want to know this so I can pray for him. And we give all kinds of wonderful biblical excuses. Okay. But in the end, they tend to just be nosy, like the person standing at the window watching what their neighbor is doing and this kind of thing. But the other primary reason why we gossip is that we share info to harm someone else. We may say we are not, but we are encouraging others to think poorly of another person. We are encouraging distrust and breaking of friendship, all the while wanting to make ourselves feel better. All of us, obviously, have gossiped. Okay, we might have professional gossipers okay, on social media okay, get paid for it, but we all have gossiped, and we all know people that gossip on a regular basis. But gossip that Paul is telling us here is really a form of idolatry, and it is a result of our idolatry, the idol of being better than others. Well, let's keep going. The next word we see now is in verse 30, and the New King James uses the term backbiter. Your translation may use the term slanderer here. Uh, Let me read here a moment now from Titus, and this is chapter 2, where Paul is talking about the older men and women, and here he says in verse 3, older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. A slanderer is someone who uses words against another. Verbal attacks, we might say. One who spreads evil reports. Now, the difference between gossip and slander is that gossip tends to be more quiet, whereas slander tends to be more open and obvious and direct. This is when you're defaming someone's name, and we actually have laws in our society against slander. Unfortunately, They tend not to be uh, implemented. And so the media, for example, can say almost anything about non-liberals. And they can slander people up one side and down the other and never be held accountable for it. Most obviously against Trump. But in the last couple weeks, this Oliver Anthony is receiving lots of slander with his song rising to the top of the charts and so forth. Uh, Anyone who says there are only two genders are then slandered, maybe even lose their job. Uh, Anyone who opposes the woke agenda and so forth is slandered. We, of course, as a church, and me specifically and such, were slandered last fall as racists and so forth because 
of the conference that we held. We've all likely been slandered, and we all have slandered others. Sometimes as Christians, we are the worst slanderers, verbally attacking other believers, other denominations, because we can give a nice religious excuse for doing it. Now, there is a different word that is translated as slander in the scriptures, different from this one, and it's the word diabolos. We get diabolical from it, and uh, it's the word that is often translated as devil or accuser. Look, when we slander others, basically we're acting like Satan, acting like the devil. So Paul here, obviously, in this list is beginning with Uh, two things that have to do with the tongue. When we turn away from God, he gives us over to these kinds of sins. All right, now the next word, and it's actually one word in the Greek, and that is haters of God. That's how the New King James puts it, or God hater. Uh, It's not hated by God, that's not what Paul is saying, but someone who hates God. Uh, Obviously, it's the opposite of being godly or a lover of God. Uh, A related word here is blaspheme. Uh, Some of these words that Paul gives are not used anywhere else, but the idea is found elsewhere. And and so the ideas of blaspheme are certainly found in other places. This is where someone speaks irreverently about God. Uh, But you can hate God with your words and with your actions. Uh, But some people are very open about it. They blame God for something happening. We hear people say in our culture that Christians or religion are to blame for this, that, or the other. But we also do it subtly, don't we? Whenever we say, God, why is this happening in my life? And especially if we're not being very submissive to that, we are being a God hater. Marxists obviously hate God of any stripe, whether they're communist or national socialist, democratic socialist, fascist, whatever it is. And unfortunately, we have literally tens of thousands of people around the world who hate God, who are in positions of leadership and are making decisions about our world, even here in the United States. You have people who deliberately speak against God about church, about the scriptures, and so forth. And and they're College professors, they work in the universities, or the Hollywood elites making movies that tell us to hate God, for example, or they marginalize Christian actors. Uh, Maybe you've heard here in the last couple weeks about the pro-life lady in Ohio who was fired by a pro-life group for saying we should believe in Jesus. There are God-haters everywhere including ourselves, because anytime we sin, we are hating God. We are refusing to submit to him. Now, one last thought here about this word. You might wonder, why does Paul put this one here? I thought we were talking about hating our neighbor in these uh, few verses, and, and we are. Now, certainly, we could put this idea back in verse 21, for example, and and because we hate God and because we don't give him thanks, right, he uh, gives us over to these things. But whenever we encounter someone who hates God, they also hate their neighbor, don't they? God-haters do not relate well to others, and this is why Paul puts it here. 
Now, the next few terms are similar. So the first one, the New King James says, is violent, aggressive. <clears throat> Your translation may use the term insolent, which refers to a, a, a kind of violence and pride and so forth. These are talking about, Paul's talking about those who are abusive, who mistreat others. We're talking about the bully at school or the brawler at the bar or the tough guy who always shows off how intimidating he can be. Let me read here from 1 Timothy. Uh, this is uh, chapter 1 and verse 13. And Paul here is talking about himself. He said, I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, a violent man. Of course, we know that, right? He's persecuting the church and so on. Now, the Greek word here for this word is hubristes, and we get the word hubris from it. And so when we think of hubris, we think of excessive pride, and usually it leads then to harming others. And that, that seems to be the difference that Paul's trying to make here with this word, okay, the, the, uh, the harm that goes along with pride. So nearly everyone in power <laughs> loves power and desires greater power, right? Absolute power corrupts absolutely, as we say. Um, and so you look at Biden, for example, trying to circumvent Congress, whether it's student loans or the border or emergency power with COVID or now the environment, uh, Ukraine funding. And, and I just uh, was seeing yesterday how he did that with food stamps. He just bypassed Congress, and that's partly why food prices are going up for us. Um, but this is really an insolent action uh, the mass, mass revolutionaries, Antifa, BLM, and such, the flash mobs out in Southern California, or the youth in Chicago, or whatever, uh, they're being violent. The warlords, you think of President Xi, or Putin, or King Jong-un, or those in Africa, like the Congo, or Cameroon, or the Sudan, or whatever, but also the neocons, and the war hawks on both sides of the aisle. But all of us here have had pride to the extent that we desire harm to come to someone who disagrees with us. Maybe we've acted upon it, maybe just by words, if you will, but certainly in our hearts. The next word here is proud, uh, haughty, arrogant, boastful. Again, it is similar to the last word. Last one emphasizes the harm. This one emphasizes, if you will, what's going on within us. Okay. And so remember the James 4, verse 6, that God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. And so pride here, right? We're puffed up about ourselves. We treat others with contempt. We think we're better than others. This is the opposite, of course, of humility. So you think of the sports star who proclaims, I am the greatest, like Muhammad Ali or LeBron James, or, um, you know, they make a great play and they just thump their chest. Yeah, look at me, you know, all this sort of thing. It's filled with pride. Trump thinks he's the only one that can make America great again. He's a rather prideful man in many ways. But again, as I began... Let's not just say, well, yeah, look at those people over there. <laughs> Very prideful. What about us? We too think we are better than others and put them down, at least in our minds. Okay? Those who have false humility 
are being prideful. If you say you're no good, you are really saying, God, I don't like the way you made me. If we say that we have humility, usually become very prideful of our humility. And so once again, all of us do these things. The next word is boaster. And uh, if the first one emphasizes force, the second one, if you will, in the mind, especially this one focuses on the words. And so your translation may say boastful, talking about people who show off, who brag. We tell someone how wonderful we are. And um, let me uh, read here now from 2 Timothy. This time it's uh, chapter 3. And uh, in verse 1 it says, In the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. I'll read more of it here in a moment. Typically, those who boast are very insecure about themselves. They may not look that way, but really they are. They want everyone to notice how good they are at something. And so they are seeking praise and acclamation. Their, Their idol really is what other people think of them. And so, I scored the winning point, or I was instrumental in the success at at work, or I achieved the honor roll, or I am humble, or I received some kind of reward. All of us have boasted about something. All right, now let me pause here a moment. We're halfway through this list now. Remember, Paul is not telling us here that we should avoid these things. Certainly we should, but that's not his point here. Paul is not saying that those who commit these sins deserve judgment. But obviously that is true. Paul's point here is that he's saying that God is punishing us with these sins for turning away from him. And so when we see these things in our lives, it's an indication our relationship with God is not right. And so we apply this to ourselves individually. If I start boasting about something, well, I need to go back to the Lord and repent of this sin, certainly, but also then get my relationship with uh, with him right again. If we see these sins in a family or in a society or in a church, it's an indication that God is angry with us. He's punishing us with these sins because we have turned from him in some way. Okay. And so, you know, sometimes you hear people say, well, you know, if we keep doing these things in our society, then God's going to punish America. <laughs> he already is. Because we see these things all over the place. God will judge us if we do these things. But Paul is saying God is judging us. And that's why we do these things. Hating our neighbor is really an indication that we're hating him. All right, well, let's keep going. The next word is actually two words in the Greek, inventors of evil things. Uh, Your translation may say it slightly differently or whatever, but um, notice it's not enough that we do evil things, but now we invent ways of doing more evil. Hey, we, we don't just boast, we don't just... Uh, do violent things, we invent ways of doing even more of that. 
We might call this a divisor or a contriver. And all of us here have said, no, I never would have thought of doing those things when we see how other people sin. So, you know, a few examples that I thought of here is the Biden family corruption. I never would have thought of getting in bed with those in, in China or in Ukraine to make all kinds of money on the side. I just wouldn't have thought of doing that. Or the January 6th cover-up, set-up. The whole thing is a sham. Or the Russia collusion before that. Or the plans to reduce world population. Or teaching preschoolers about gender identity. Or human trafficking. You know, some of these things are just kind of like, I never would have thought of those kind of things. But I have thought of other evils. And so too have you. All of us have gotten pretty good at doing evil things. And we come up with better ways of doing it. Like manipulating someone to do what we want, especially our spouse and children, or using social media to spew forth our evil thoughts. We too invent evil. Obviously, if we're being proud and boastful, we will invent evil ways to do even more evil. The next uh, grouping here is also two words in the Greek, disobedient to parents. Obviously, it's referring to the fifth commandment, being rebellious, resisting authority. Uh, let me read the positive here. This is uh, from Ephesians and uh, chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Paul says, well, it's common, of course, in society for this not to happen. And we see this clearly with the youth culture that goes on in schools. Um, when a child argues about doing something, obviously they're disobeying their parents. Even when they just say, oh, man, that's still an argument. Okay. And so all of us, of course, have disobeyed our parents in one way or another. Um, but the point is this, if we're going to disobey our parents, then it's not very much of a next step to disobey other people in authority. If we disobey the people who have given birth to us and who care for us, however imperfectly that is, it's an easy next step to disobey our teachers and our elders and magistrates and bosses and so forth. If there's social discord at home, you will have the same elsewhere in society. Disobeying your parents is a hateful act and it leads to hating your neighbor. So we come then to the next word and we come now to verse 31 and you'll notice that all these words are very similar and, and in the Greek they all begin the same way and so I like how the New King James did it here by putting un on the front of all of these words. Now, your translation may put less on the end of your words or something like that, like faithless or heartless, or some say without understanding or no love or something to that effect. Okay. The first word here is undiscerning. Obviously, this has to do with the mind. You could say without understanding or mindless. You could say without sense, uh, foolishness. Uh, you cannot comprehend or unintelligent and dense or something to that effect. Paul's actually already used this word back in verse 21. 
The New King James says they became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. And same word there. Now, I think this can refer to cognitive things. Hey, God judges us because we don't use our minds to retain God knowledge. He gives us minds that don't work right. Right. And so our minds cognitively are failing, are getting worse kind of idea. So, for example, my dad has made the comments uh, over the years that uh, as an accounting professor, he would get new textbooks rather frequently because right, the laws change and so on. But as he did so, he often then would see the text was more basic from one edition to the next. More pictures were added and, and things like that, right? Um, the dumbing down of society is a result of turning our minds away from God. I just saw here the other day that military recruits can now use calculators for entrance exams. Something they couldn't do before, apparently. This dumbing down of society is part of God's judgment on us for rejecting him. Um, And certainly we can talk about this. But it does seem that Paul is emphasizing the inability to discern right from wrong. That that is his emphasis. It's not that we can't understand what is wise. We just choose not to do it. Okay? So, for example, you listen to the media, and if you're duped by their propaganda, you are being undiscerning. You're not discerning truth from error. If you really believe that Biden is a loving grandfather and Trump's the most evil dictator ever, you're not being discerning. That doesn't mean that they're all bad or all good either. If you believe that gender-affirming care is actually loving and the gender binary is evil and oppressive, or indigenous people are innocent victims and all colonists are evil racists, if you haven't discerned that the word indigenous people or African-American is part of the socialist way of thinking, you're not being discerning. The next word here that Paul gives us is untrustworthy. Your translation may use the term faithless or without fidelity or something like that. Uh, It has to do with breaking promises, breaking vows, breaking covenants. Obviously, we think of divorce, the breaking of a vow. We think of not paying your debts. Will our government ever repay the national debt? Of course not. I just heard the other day that we now have over a trillion dollars in credit card debt in our society. Bankruptcy courts are designed in many ways to encourage people not to pay off their debts. We obviously are having all these campaigns going on right now, and we heard a debate this week and so forth, but promises are going to be broken. I heard just this week about Zelensky when he campaigned, I think it was 2019, the very day he got into office and he promised to do all these things on the first day, he didn't do them. People swell in the Bible to uphold the Constitution, but they're Marxists at heart. Have you heard about what's going on with the banks in England? It's now over a thousand incidences of banks who promised to hold our money and allow us to use it when we want to, right? They, they've made a promise to us, and uh, we've promised to do various things for them, right? 
Um, well, in England, over a thousand times now, a bank has refused to allow people to use their money. Why? Because those people don't have the right political views. We make vows here at church. Okay? If we are not committed to the things of the church, then we are being unfaithful. We're being faithless, untrustworthy. If the church does not teach the truth, if we do not stand up against false teaching, if we say we're going to help the missionaries but not give them the money we promise or pray for them like we've said, we're being untrustworthy. Okay. On and on and on we can go here with examples. We all have failed in this way. Now the next word is unloving. Your, your translation may say heartless or without affection, without feeling, something to that effect. Uh, let me read now the next verse in 2 Timothy um, and chapter 3. He says, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, right? The last times, he says, people will do this. Maybe you heard about the mother um, here in the last few weeks who let her children um, die of malnutrition because she was more concerned about getting the next score of drugs. Or maybe you heard about the nurse who murdered a newborn babies. I think it was in England, six or seven of them, and she was going to try to do more. Um, you think of abortion doctors. They are heartless. You think of euthanasia especially in Canada, it's happening all the time. I mean, that's not really an, exception, uh, an extreme statement. It's happening a lot, but they're heartless, no matter what they say. The border policies with the cartels and the human traffickers, I heard just the other day, they now have 85, I think it was, 85,000 children who are missing. And probably many of them have ended up in the sex trade. It's just so sad. They're heartless. The laws and regulations that keep people on welfare, that separate families, that encourage poverty and drug abuse and sexual deviancy, drag shows for children, on and on and on we can go, heartless things. Yet all of us fall short of loving our neighbor and treating them as we want to be treated. We're selfish, we are thoughtless, we are heartless, we don't care about others in need, not really, it, when we do, oftentimes, it's just so that we look good. Now, remember, our tendency is to say, well, I'm not as bad as that person. But our standard is not that person. Our standard is God. Perfection. Holiness. Now, the next word, the New King James has unforgiving. And if you have another translation, you don't have that word because... Some manuscripts have it and some don't. Uh, in this case, it's an A rating, which means Paul probably did not write the word here in this list. Somebody probably added it later, and probably because of 2 Timothy 3, verse 3. If you noticed when I just read it a moment ago, it has unloving and then unforgiving right after it. So it was probably added later. Certainly it is true, though, is it not? Even if Paul didn't put it in this list. Again, he's not trying to be exhaustive. We all hold grudges. All of us are unwilling to let go of someone's hurtful words and actions. 
but I won't spend as much time on it here. Uh, so let's look now at the last word, unmerciful. Your translation may say without mercy, without pity, without compassion, or ruthless. We're talking about people who are hard-hearted and cruel, very similar uh, to the unloving one. And so you think of the Caesars in the Colosseum, or President Snow in the arena, or Hitler in the uh, concentration camps, or Xi in the Uyghurs, or Biden in the human traffickers, as they just mentioned, or Epstein and his customers or the serial rapist, or the abortion advocates, or the eugenicists, Ted Bundy, the propagandist in the media, Fauci and all the gain-of-function research. The list is quite endless. But once again, when we callously turn away from those in need, saying, oh, I'm too busy, or I really can't help, and it's going to be too difficult, so we'll let somebody else do it. We're not being very caring. We're being unmerciful. Okay. When we, like Javert and Les Mis, refuse to show mercy and only show justice. Okay. On and on we can go. But as we look at these words, once again, Paul is not trying to be exhaustive, but he is being comprehensive. All these social sins and others are a result of breaking, ultimately, the first commandment. When we break these other commands, when we sin against others, when society shows hatred to our neighbor rather than love, it is an indication that we have turned from God. Again, this is Paul's point. Yes, we should avoid these things. Yes, there will be judgment for doing these things. But he wants us to go back to the beginning in our relationship with God. And he's also wanting us to lose hope. That may sound kind of strange. But Paul wants us to lose all hope in ourselves. He wants us to see you are just absolutely terrible. And me too. And even himself. We all are wretched, awful, sinful people even as the children of God. He wants us to see this so that we will not place our hope and trust in anything that we do or we don't do. He wants us to look to Christ alone. He wants us to see that grace is truly amazing, that God would save someone as awful as me. That's what he wants us to get to. And so if we pass the buck or we, we, we compare ourselves to others or we explain things away to make ourselves feel good or something like that, we're missing the whole point. And it really doesn't make us feel good in the end. What makes us feel good is recognizing how terrible we are and that our only hope is what God has done through Jesus Christ to save us. And that he would do that, like Israel, okay? we're just as idolatrous as they, and yet he shows love and mercy initially and day by day. 
And so again, I'm adding this point, anticipating what he's going to say. But for now, as it were, be willing to be beaten down, to be exposed. Let God's word divide between uh, matter and soul and spirit and marrow and all this sort of thing so that we can see how truly great God's grace is to us. We'll say more about that here in a moment at the table. So Lord, really, next time we'll finish the chapter. Let's pray together. Our Father and God, we are thankful for your word. Again, a word that is challenging for us, but we thank you for it. And we do pray that your word would do its work, that you would expose us in our sin, that we would recognize how sinful we are, that we might then turn to you that we might turn away from ourselves and our sense of righteousness and that we would turn to you and your righteousness alone through Jesus Christ. Lord, we um, ask that you would give us strength in this process. This is a hard thing. Grace, you often hear people say, is just easy. But in many ways, it's one of the most difficult things for us to accept because we have to accept our sin. And so, Lord, we pray for your mercies in this way and that you would um, cause us then to to turn to you and um, that you would grow us in grace through it all. We pray all this then in Jesus' name. Amen.